This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. I'm going to begin reading from verse 17. So Luke 10, 17. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. Satan certainly has power. There is no question. According to the word of God, he has power. He has power to cause sin. He has power to cause sickness. Although not all sickness is, is directly attributable uh, to the devil. But yet he has power to cause sickness. Jesus, you remember the woman who came to Jesus and she was bowed over for 18 years. And Jesus says, whom Satan has bound these 18 years. And so often there's direct influence and power to cause sickness by Satan and fear and death and even lying wonders and signs and miracles. Do you remember the magicians in Egypt, how that when Moses threw down his rod, it was turned into a snake, and they threw down their rods, and they were turned into snakes also. And so there's power there. And we know that during the, the reign of the Antichrist on earth, there will be lying wonders that will be seen by all. And so there is power, even the power to spiritually deceive and the blind people. The God of this world, the Bible says, who blinds the minds of those that believe not, lest the light of the gospel should shine on them. And also, he has power even to deceive whole nations. Uh, and we see that today. We see whole nations that are deceived, either through a false religion or because of some despot who, who controls and manipulates and they idolize and worship. We see false prophets today as well. And so, no mistake about it, Satan does have power. But how much power has he got? And what kind of a power is it that he has got? Is it a power that's all-powerful? Or is it a power that somehow, even though it's powerful, but it's not all-powerful, only God is all-powerful? So what kind of power has Satan got? That's what we're going to look at just for a little while this morning. Now, we don't want to give him too much credit at all, but yet we're not to be ignorant of his devices. We need to be able to understand and see uh, who he is and what he, he's like. Well, first of all, it is a permitted, a permitted power. Now, there's two main words that describe power in the New Testament. I've told you this umpteen times, but just bear with me just for one second while I briefly mention it again because I want to use this in what I'm talking about this morning. And the two words that are most commonly used are exousia and dunamis. E-X-O-U-S-I-A, D-U-N-A-M-I-S. And exousia is delegated power, a power that has been given or granted, 
a power that has been allowed or permitted. In other words, it is the right to. That's, in a nutshell, what it means, the right to. And dynamis is an inherent power, a force, an ability, a self-enabling, generating, perpetual power, which is where we get dynamo and dynamite from, and that means might. So basically, existing is right, and dynamis is might. And both these words are mentioned in relation to the believer. For example, in John 1 and 12, but as many as received him, to them give he the power or the right to become children of God and to those who believe in his name. So we have the legal right given to us by God to call ourselves children of God because we're saved and we're born again through his Son and of his Spirit. So that is our legal right. As far as heaven is concerned, we have every right. From the very second you're born again, you have the legal right to call yourself a child of God, a son of God, a daughter of God. But in Acts 1 and 8 it says, but you shall receive power, and it's dunamis, or dunamis, you may want to say, uh, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and that's that inherent power. So as well as having the right to be called the sons of God and the daughters of God. We have the might to be able to live as the sons and daughters of God in this world. And so that's, in a nutshell, that's what those two words basically mean. However, both are mentioned in relation to Satan as well, actually. And so in Luke chapter 4, You remember Jesus in the wilderness temptations? And in verse 5 of Luke 4, Then the devil, taking him up onto a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whoever I wish Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Now, it's interesting how Jesus answers that. He did not contradict him. He did not say, now, hold on a minute, Mr. Devil. You have no right to say that to me. You have no authority. Nothing's been delivered to you. He didn't even question that. Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And so... Is that right? Is that true? <coughs> Has Satan that power and authority that he talked about in those temptations? Now remember in John's Gospel in chapter 12 and 14 and 16, Jesus called him the prince of the power of the air. And princes have certain authorities. It's fascinating now this whole debacle with Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. It's all in the news at the moment and how he has stepped back from royal duties and said that him and his wife no wonder longer want to be part of the royal family and yet at the same time wish to continue to use the royal titles. Well, Her Majesty wasn't having any of that even though it's her grandson and she loves him but she has a great sense of what it means to be royal. <coughs> and so she says, no, you can't really have that. I love you, but... Can't do that. And so you'll be no longer called a prince, you'll be called a duke. A duke and a duchess rather than a prince. And so immediately his authority was stripped back and now they're saying that even they can't use the royal 
name Royal even on all their websites, which they were going to set up business all around. So you can't do that either. And so all that authority that he had has all been stripped back. And so princes do have authority. And Jesus said that the enemy was the uh, prince of the power of this world, the prince of this world. Paul, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, calls him the God of this world. So neither uh, them, Paul or Jesus, was any illusions about what authority or power that Satan had in this world. And in fact, in Acts chapter 26, Acts 26, in verse, well, let me read from verse 17. And I will deliver Paul, the Lord speaking to Paul, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power, the exousia of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And so throughout Scripture, we see that there is a certain amount of power and authority that the enemy has. But in our opening Scriptures, note what it says, Behold, I give you power, exousia, over all the dynamis, the power of the <coughs> enemy. I give, you, I give you right over his might. I give you authority. Even though he has might, he has dynamis, even though he has power in that sense, but I'm going to give you the authority over that so that nothing shall by any means hurt you. So there you have it. We have the right over the devil's might. We have authority over the enemy's power. In fact, he would have no longer any authority over the believer unless unless God himself permits it for a season and for a reason unless God permits it for a season and for a reason remember Job and how the devil comes before God <laughs> and God said to him if I may paraphrase well where have you been today well, I've been walking about to and fro throughout the whole earth. The Bible says he, he goes about as a roaring lion in, in, in the New Testament. He goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so then God said, well, have you considered my servant Job? That there's none like him in the earth. A righteous man who eschews evil. He's a really godly man. Have you considered him? A kind of tongue-in-cheek because of course he'd considered him. Of course he had. And so he says, well, basically, yes, but I can't do anything against him because he had put such a hedge of protection around him, I can't touch him. So he needed permission. And it was as if, it's as if God is almost giving him permission at that point. It's as if he said, come on, ask me. Ask me permission. I know you can't touch him, but ask me permission. It shows you how much confidence God had in Job that he would allow the enemy to attack him. And so he says... Ask me permission. So we'll come to that in a moment. And then remember Peter. Behold, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But he needed permission before he could do that. Now why? Why would God grant permission? Even if it's only for a season, what would be the reason? Why would God... 
allow the enemy of our souls to come against us and attack us? Well, first of all, to develop in us faith and patience. Faith and patience. In James 1, verses 2 to 4, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect or mature and complete, lacking nothing. And so, if we need patience, if we need more perseverance, if we need to be matured more, then God may allow the enemy to come at us in a certain way at a certain time for that reason, so that we may mature in the things of God, that we don't stay as little children all the time, that we grow up in Christ and we become strong believers in the Lord. And verse 12 Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So there are rewards. There are rewards that await those who endure the tests and trials. When the enemy comes against you, we stay on the track, we keep on going on, we do not quit, we do not fall, we do not fail, then there are rewards for us. And also to show us Greater power, God's greater power over Satan's power. And God has got great power. There's no question about that. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also that which is to come. And he's put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so that's showing us that God has got greater power. God is almighty. He is omnipotent. He is all power. Now, there's, a, <coughs> there's, there's people who believe in this world today that uh, uh, yin and yang, that, that there's power out there, supernatural power out there, but it's equal in force. And the whole basis of the whole Star Wars movies is based on George Lucas' belief in that, by the way, that there's two equal opposing forces and one wins at one point, and then the other comes back and beats them, and then they win. And there's always this going back and forth with these two equal powers. Well, that's nonsense. Of course it's nonsense. It's nonsense. Because God has got all power. And the enemy's power is nowhere anything like equal to God's power. Not at all. Never was, never will be. And also, to keep our feet firmly on the ground. You see, even the Apostle Paul he was caught up into the third heaven and saw things that was unlawful for him to utter to another human being. You think of all that John saw in the book of Revelation and was able to talk about it. What in the world did Paul see that he couldn't talk about it? Unless, because of those abundance of revelations that was given on him, unless he would become proud and puffed up, a thorn was given to him in the flesh. I will not argue about what that thorn is. That's not our subject this morning. But whatever it was, he did not like it, and he prayed three times for God to remove it. 
and God would not remove it. It would keep his feet on the ground. And God says, you'll be weak, but you'll be strong in my strength in your natural weakness. Listen, how many great ministries and great preachers has fallen <coughs> because of the popularity and the idolatry that goes a lot with popularity sometimes and they've riven to the very heights and they've crashed and burned because of their pride. Well, God was going to make sure that that wouldn't happen to the Apostle Paul. And so everywhere he went, somebody attacked him. Somebody was against him. Every, every city he went to, bonds and chains await me. He said, the Holy Spirit told him that everywhere you go, somebody's going to come against you. Personally, I think that's what the thorn in the flesh was. I don't think it was sickness in Paul's case. I don't think he had bendy legs and bad eyes and all the stuff that you hear talked about. Everywhere he went. So that kept him firmly, his feet on the ground. And so it is a permitted power. It is a limited power. Come back to Job. So basically Satan was saying to God, well, I can't touch him. Yeah, I would love to, but I can't, because you have put a hedge of protection around him. So Job 1 and 12, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. In Hebrew there, it means your hand. Is in your hand, only do not lay a hand on his person. So, okay, so, so God, in, in a limited way, removes part of that hedge around him and says, okay, I'll let you attack all that he has, but not him personally. And so, you know, the story, that's exactly what happened. He lost everything, everything, everything he owned, everything, including his family. Even his wife said, curse God and die. But he still maintained his trust and belief in God. And so then there's another time after that where Satan comes against, comes to, before God, and God said, Job 2, 6, and the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. You see, when Satan came the second time, he says, Ah, skin for skin, all that a man He'll, to save his own neck, he'll do anything to save his neck. You know, God says, okay, behold, he, this time, behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So again, he was limited. And when you know what happened this time, he was smitten by boils from head to foot. And he sat outside with broken pieces of pottery, scraping his sore skin, trying to get some relief from the itch and the soreness because he came out and he touched him. And then, of course, his three so-called friends came and blamed him and all that. But it's a great, it's a wonderful story, the book of Job. You should read the book of Job. Read it all the way through. It's a great book. But what I'm trying to show you is this was limited. Satan could only do what he's permitted to do and only in a limited manner. He could not just totally just destroy Job. Couldn't do it. God wouldn't allow him to do it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond <laughs> what you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And so there was a limitation to what the enemy can do. 
But then it is a resisted power. A resisted power. 2 Peter 2.9. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. Now that doesn't mean to say that we sit back <laughs> because the Bible says we've got to resist the devil and he will flee from us. So even though God may allow and permit and even though it may be limited, it doesn't mean that we just sit and take it all that we have got to resist. Mm -hmm. It's a resisted power. In Luke 22, 31 and 32, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. So that permission would need it there, wasn't it? But I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be a resistance. <coughs> Isn't it wonderful to think that when the enemy comes against us, that we have one who sits in the throne in heaven who prays for us, who's for us. And he prayed for Peter. He says, Peter, I know what's going to happen to you. I know the enemy of your soul is going to come against you. And I am praying, not that that will stop, but that your faith doesn't fail in your trial. And even though Peter failed, but his faith didn't fail, because in the end, he was restored and became a mighty servant of God. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? Christ is interceding for us in heaven. The Holy Spirit is interceding for us on earth. We have the prayers of all the saints. And we resist the enemy. Amen. And he will flee from us. 1 Peter 5 and 9. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. So remember that we have power, we have authority over his might. Huh? We have the right in Christ to be who we are and have authority over the enemy's power. It is a broken power. Genesis 3.15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So even though the devil would bruise his heel, Christ would bruise his head. The head speaks of the place of authority. And Christ would break his authority. Listen to what it says in Luke 11, 21, 22. But when a strong man, man fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor which in he trusted and divides his spoils. And so even though Satan is a strong man, Christ is a stronger man. And no matter how much strength the enemy's got, Christ has got more strength. So what I'm trying to say this morning is that we can't be daft and stupid and idiotic and think, well, the devil has nothing. He's no power. He's nothing. He has. Let's not be silly. He has. But thank God through Christ, we have authority over all of that. Even the weakest saint, even the weakest saint has got that authority over the power of the evil one. 
So let's get back to Exousia and Dynamis. So even though he has power, limited authority, Christ has all power and all authority, and he's given that unto us too. But if Satan's power is broken, why is he still ruling, ruling, ruling and ruining men's lives today? Hmm? Why is that happening? Because not all men know this or even want this. You talk to people out in the street, you said he believed in the devil, and they immediately think of somebody in a red cape with horns and a long tail. I think of Halloween. And this modern day scientific technological world, that's what they think. That there is no such a being as the devil or God or anything. Everything is natural, mechanistic. That's what the world is. It's material and that's it. But we know differently. We know there is a world beyond this world, beyond our eyes that we see. And the Bible clearly, clearly teaches that. <laughs> and so, 1 John 3, 8, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And destroy here means dissolve, undo, unloose. But if somebody doesn't believe there is a devil, and doesn't believe that there's supernatural beings, and doesn't believe there's demonic power, then the enemy can do whatever he likes with them. He can have full authority and full power over them. But whenever we come in the family of God and we realize through the Word of God that there is such a being and there are such beings and they hate us with a passion and wants to destroy us, but they're limited and we have power over them and authority over them. Not all men want to be free from that which binds them the habits, the sins, the attitudes, the immorality, the lifestyles they adopted. You know, whenever it comes to making a decision for Christ to be a believer, usually it boils down to lifestyle issues, heart issues. This is the way I want to live. And I know if I'm a Christian, I can't live that way. I can no longer do those things. And that's when it comes down to the crux and the crunch are we willing to turn away from that repent and turn away from that life and turn to the life of Christ? And that's what faced most of us. At one point in our lives, we realized, I can no longer live that way. If I'm going to live for Christ, it's going to be a different life. That's the broad way, but this is the narrow way. And if I go on the narrow way, I can't walk on the broad way. 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, he is the God of this world but he's not our God. That's the thing. He's not our God. He used to be our God, even though we didn't know that or didn't recognize that or even understand that, but he was. And we live for his kingdom, but whenever we get born again and get saved, we come into the kingdom of God. And he's not our God. God is our God. And it is, finally, it is a doomed power. Satan's fate is absolutely sealed. There is no recourse. There's no pardon going to happen. <laughs> There's people on death row at this moment in America has been on there for years, 
hoping and praying for a pardon, that somebody somewhere, somehow, and higher authority will say, we're not going to execute you. We'll, we'll keep that to life imprisonment at least, but we'll not execute you. And that's what they're hoping for, that they'll get a pardon of some description, not death. But Satan knows, he knows that his fate is sealed. And he knows there is no recourse, and there will be no pardon, and there will be no out. You know, he's already judged. The sentence is passed. He's awaiting the execution. And he knows that. And the day that gets closer to him, the worse he gets. His head is bruised. This was fulfilled in Christ's life on earth. He constantly bruised the head of the evil one, didn't he? Constantly, constantly bruised his head. In his life, he constantly ministered to people and set them free from the enemy's power. Even those, even that man, the demoniac in Gadara, the man who was in the graveyard, the man who was naked, the man who was cutting himself, the man who couldn't bind with chains. And Jesus went, and in a moment of time, he totally released him, set him free from the power of the evil one. And he was constantly bruising his head and his life and his death. <laughs> his death on the cross, that failed, <laughs> sealed the fate of the evil one at that point. That was it. It is finished. Amen. It's done. It's complete. The mission is fulfilled to bruise his head. And, of course, at his resurrection, glory to God, at his resurrection when Jesus rose again from the dead. What a moment that was. Eh? Hell must have been shaking when Jesus rose again from the dead. Glory to God. Couldn't do anything. Couldn't stop it. And, of course, his second coming after the millennial period Christ is on earth in Revelation chapter 20. Verse 1, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. I believe in the millennial period of Christ on earth. You may not, but I do. And I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the witness to Jesus, for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, who had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests unto God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison, and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. 
whose number is as the sand of the sea. And they went up upon the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, which is Jerusalem. And fire came down from God out of heaven and destroyed them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and forever. Glory to God. Ah, that's what awaits the enemy of your soul. And as somebody said years ago, if the devil keeps reminding you of your past, you remind him of his future. And it's not too good, is it? It's pretty bleak, isn't it? You wouldn't want to be the devil, would you? And have that to look forward to, because that's what's going to happen. So it's a permitted power, it's a limited power, it's a resistant power, it's a broken power, it's a doomed power. There's power, yes, but there's all those limitations that are put upon it. And in the end, it will be no more. In the end, there'll be no more influence, no more sickness, no more disease, no more sin, no more murder, no more rape, no more anything, because he will be completely and utterly gone forever and forever. Amen? Amen. Lord, we give you thanks that you have given us authority. You've given us exousia, and you have given us dunamis. So, Lord, we are not left, Lord, defenseless. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for the weapons that you have given us. We thank you for the armor, Lord, you have given us. And so, Lord, we walk forth in our Christian life and our experiences each day, knowing that behind the scenes there is the evil one, but knowing, Lord, that you are seated on your throne, high above all principality and powers and all might. And, Lord, we are seated in heavenly places with you according to your word. So we give you thanks for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information www.mpc.org.uk